You're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by ironcompany.com. With us today is Ed Cohn, the undisputed king of absolute strength, the greatest power lifter of all time. But what is it that really makes Ed the greatest power lifter of all time? Is it his more than 71 world records? Or perhaps it was the 2,463 pounds he posted and a body weight of only 241 pounds. The answer is yes, but... There's a lot more here than meets the eye, which we plan to explore and bring to the surface. Welcome back, Ed Cohn. How you doing, guys? <laughs> Welcome back, yes. Welcome back, man. We appreciate it, Ed. Oh, I enjoy this. <laughs> As we do. And uh, we've got your longtime pal here, Marty Gallagher. Uh, so let's bring him in. I know he's got a lot to say. We're gonna that guy's good... still alive. He's hanging hey, in there. Yeah. He's, hanging in there. he's still in there. Come on, man. <laughs> we haven't killed him yet. In April. It's found the youth. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna be a little bit like uh, James L. Lipton in the Actors Studio here, and I'm gonna explain a little bit why <clears throat> why Cone is the king. And I think a lot of it gets glossed over in this day and age. Uh, Ed's too modest to toot his own horn, but his accomplishments were so astounding and they still are. And I know he's wincing, even as I say these words right now, okay? But somebody's gotta gotta say them. So there's a frame of reference, imagine someone who comes in and is able to set records a full 15% better than the next best in the world. And that's what happened with Ed. When Ed totaled 2,400 at 220, the next best guys in the world were all clustered at around 2,100. And these were good men. These were Hall of Fame guys. We had guys like uh, Fred Hatfield, uh, Jimmy Cash, Pacifico. I think Larry topped out at about 2060. Ed, does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, you know, you, you know it, it, the, the, the guys at 220 at the time were all future Hall of Fame guys. And they were all clustered around at 2100. So here comes Cone, and he does 2,400, 300 pounds in excess of the next best, which if you do the math, it comes out to a full 15%. So I just did a a little bit of initial computation before we came on. Uh, Sotomayor, the the current high jump world record holder at eight foot and a quarter inch, if somebody came in and wanted to do 15% better, you know, you're talking about a nine foot, two inch jump, right? Like unheard of stuff, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan Krauser just recently smashed the world record in the shot foot and he threw it 76, eight. And when they say smashed, it was a, it was a 1.7% increase, right? right. That's smashed. Yeah. Well, if, if, if Cone came along in the shot foot, he'd throw the damn thing 88 feet. <laughs> It'd be interesting uh, to do with with uh, sprints, Marty, the fastest. Well, man. One, one more. I have one more, and that's Usain Bolt. And there again, you go. Bolt's, there you go. Bolt's nine point five eight, and again, um, you know, he he really 
brought the record down considerably. Well, if cone came along or, or a, a cone like Spinner, he'd run a 8.15. <laughs> right? Oh, so, so that's what we were dealing with. And we're like, at the time, we're like, hey, does <laughs> anybody see this? We got a guy that, that is 15% better than the rest of the world. And I, at the time when I wrote Purposeful Primitive, said, I don't think there's another athlete in any sport that's had that kind of gap. Now, we can't tell with team sports. You know, you got your Jim Browns and your Will Chamberlains and your, you know, your Bo Jacksons. But in, in the measurable sports, the individual sports, the sports with times and distances, a 15% gap is like, I mean, it's, that's, I don't think it's ever been duplicated. Marty, that's so incredible. That's such a that's such a big jump. I mean, what was what was everybody saying? I mean, everybody must have just been just bowled over by this because it's just an incredible feat. Yeah, but I mean, we lived in such a we happen. lived in such a small world. We're like, hey, hey, look, does anybody understand how what's going on here? No, yeah, really did. But didn't uh, so anyway, yeah, didn't go ahead, Eddie. France, didn't Ernie France make a comment uh, when he brought Ed to the national something about? Shoot, I can. I got a kid who can twenty, you know, total twenty two hundred right now, and he's, you know, he's a young kid or something like well, that. Well, no, I was, uh, I was at one sixty five at nineteen, and Larry Pacifico came over to our table and said something about uh, one of his guys was going to do this and pops of glue. And yeah, and uh, Ernie looked at him and said, "See this kid here? He's going to do a lot more than that." <laughs> But See wait, the hands then, on this but kid? Then, but then, but no, but then Larry looked at him and said, it looked like cash with the ghost. And he said, no way. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then he did it. So, Ed, when was the, uh, when did you, when did you enter the, well, let's back up. You were in high school, a smallish guy, right? Yeah. I, I wrestled my first year in high school at 98. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you graduate at? Uh, let's see. Um, one seventy or something. Okay. When did you first touch a barbell? Uh, a little bit before I went into high school, I started training in my a buddy's basement on a old universal machine. Okay. And then uh, I, after that, I, uh, a friend of mine had weights in his basement and uh, he brought them over to my house and we uh, pretended to lift in my basement. Now, did you, right. take, did you take to it right away? I mean, was it special? Like, man, this is great. I love this. Yes, I was completely obsessed right away. My parents would have to come down in the basement at like one o'clock in the morning <laughs> to stop me from making noise. How, how strong were you when you first started off? Were you a lot stronger than the other kids? Uh, yes. Yeah, right away. Okay. But Ed, I think when you started, it was about packing on muscle. You had more of an interest in uh, bodybuilding, didn't you? Yeah, Marty, I, tried, it, I, I tried to be Arnold. Then I met Arnold, and he was way too tall, so I tried to be Franco. There you there go. You go. <laughs> so uh, when was your first competitive meet? 1980. So you're, you're what, what, 63? So you're 17? 16. 16. Okay. How'd you do? Uh, I won and took best lifter, but I did, uh, let's see, I did, I was a really 
light 165 or like 150, some a little over 150 or something. And I did uh, 485, 295, and 495. They it took me three times to get the squat because the racks didn't go down low enough. They had to actually take it off and put it on my back. Oh my god! Wow. And how old again were you? 16. 16. With a with a basically a 500 bench of 500 dead. No, 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 no. What was it? Squat, squatting, yeah, squatting dead, squatting dead. Or squat, I mean, squatting dead. Training, but I didn't know. (laughs) I didn't know how to get ready or warm up or do anything at the meet. Right. right. Now, now, now. When did you get? Did you get? When did you get any adult influence or any outside influence? Right now, you're just kind of stumbling around, right at 16. I didn't. I just started reading Powerlifting USA magazine. Uh, well, they yeah, had some what else was there? They, they had some good writers in that magazine. <laughs> at, at one time. Yeah. When they still had their senses. <laughs> yes. When we, when we were all one. Yeah. Yeah. When we were all one, right? Yeah, so multiple right. federations. Yeah, exactly. That's when that's when we lost our mind. We'll get to that. So now, when your first real big meet was the, the teenage meet in Gettysburg, right? Um, uh, yes, that was in 1982, actually. Right. Now, I think, would you get third in that, I think? No, I'd second. Second. Yeah. Don't lie, Gallagher. I got second. And uh, I forget, it wasn't Gettysburg. I'll, I'll remember the name. Anyway, so did you, yeah, did you have any? I just want to ask that if he had any uh, yeah, formal coaching by then. No. No. So this nobody is just all on your own nobody, magazine stuff. Nobody ever coached me. Did you? Were you at a gym at this point, or were you still in the basement? I was at an uh, old Chicago Huff Club, which eventually turned into Bally's. But it was that Bally's was way after I was gone. But yeah, it was Chicago Huff Club. And they didn't have. There wasn't anybody that said, "Hey, kid, come here. Let me show you how to do this." So. No, we had uh, Jim Rouse there, who was a world record bencher, but great, um, great, very, very rarely would he come back and watch me and my buddy lift. Yeah. Now, what were you, how would you classify your training at the time? You're probably doing a lot of volume, right? Almost the same as I, I, I never, what I started with is almost what I finished with because it worked and it never stopped wow. working. Wow. You were yeah. No, there was no need to change it if it wasn't broken. Right but, right. but but how did you stumble onto it initially? Probably some a lot of powerlifting USA. Just it was just some basic linear periodization that yeah. I customized to myself. Um the key was I, I did everything by feel. My technique, the weights I picked, how I wrote up my program, my assistance exercises. If it felt right, then I did it. Yeah, you, you went where results led. Yeah, I, I didn't pay attention to anything else. Did anybody ever try to change you when you did get to a, a gym and got around other guys? No. No, they didn't say. Didn't even you know, guess. even when I was younger, when I was like you know, 18, 19, 19, I used to go down to Ernie Francis on a Saturday and do my deadlift workout and all my assistants. And Ernie would be down there with some other world record holders and national champions would be there. And they all would practically do like all three lifts on one day. Right. And I just went down there and did my deadlifts. 
Yeah. And it's so even good. down there, I mean, you weren't getting tips from anybody on how to like, uh, you know, perfect your deadlift form or anything like that. It was just all you. Well, it's the other yeah. way around, isn't it? That, that meant what makes a good coach seeing that he doesn't need to change and not just changing him to say, you know, I fixed that kid over there. I mean, he's over there crushing weights with, with that form. Why not let him go? You know, well, it's, an, it's incredible that he, you know, just coming up, it was all on instinct. Yeah. I mean, how many guys could do that? And, and basically with what he started with is kind of what he ended up with. That's incredible. Yes. Well, no, that's, that's actually predictable. That's a world champion, that's, right? That's, well, it's more than that. It's, it's a, you have certain guys that uh, we've talked about this in the past. Ed didn't stand in anybody's shoulders like Cassidy, you know, uh, Hugh, because Hugh started powerlifting when there was no powerlifting. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't have any lineage or any mentors to draw. And Ed didn't either. Ed chose his own path and he kept, as long as he obtained results, he stayed in the path and he continued to get results and he continued to get bigger. Now, Eddie, your first seniors, 1988, right? 181? 1984. Oh, well, you, yeah, I guess no, that's actually, what I thought. Actually, 1983, but I missed weight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now walk us through that. That was interesting. That, that was when you were trying to go to 65, right? Yeah, that was actually my weight class, but I, I had started to pack out a lot of extra muscle, lean muscle. And I just, I mean, I tried everything, diuretics and all kinds of shit. Right. And I couldn't get, I couldn't, I came within like a, a pound or something of making weight. And the, nothing could get off. I mean, I walked, I made my bathroom into a steam room. I didn't go to sleep, you name it. And it wouldn't come off no matter what. So after I missed weight, two hours later, I weighed in again um, to go. I had to go in at 181 then. Yep. And what were your lifts? They were great. Uh, 699, 429, and 727. And had he made weight in 165, he would have been an easy win. It would have been a, uh, a deadlift and a total world record at 19. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. So uh, next year, you come back as a full-fledged 181, right? Yep. And was that the year that it was going to be the famous Mike Bridges showdown? Yes, it was. In yes, Dayton, was. Ohio. Mike Bridges was the dominant lifter of the previous decade. Mike in 181-pound class, total, what, Eddie, 2,100 at uh, yeah. Gus's meet, 850. No, he, he, I, I don't think he, he, he didn't do it at Gus's meet. I mean, he did it at the previous Nationals or something like okay. that. Okay, yeah. But it was 854 squat, eight, five. Eight, eight, 837, 529, and uh seven something. seven seventy seven not seven thirty-eight or something at the time. Uh, I think you're a little light on that, brother. We can do the math later. But anyway, so so Bridges was the king and Cone was coming up. And so it was going to be the showdown, right? It was going to be the you know, yeah. everyone was looking forward to it. And then at the last minute Mike pulled out. Oh yeah he got uh, he got some type of bad sickness. Yeah, he got sick. Did he really? So, get it didn't happen. 
come on, man. Come on, we're not gonna. Come on, it's a long time. You can let you know the, the statute of limitations is gone. Did he really get yeah. sick? Oh yeah, he was sick. I don't oh, think Mike okay. Bridges was scared yeah. of me at the time. Okay. Yeah. So, but that, but Mike did retire. That was the end of Mike. Yeah, he, he did not come back from that. So at that point, now in your first seniors at eighty-one, that was also your first world record, right? Yeah, I, I uh, well, that's back when there was uh, it was the round system, so you had to follow yourself a lot. Oh my god, with, that was, it was escalating weights. Oh, that was horrible. And I think I I, I squatted like seven eighty-two. Uh, I came up with eight oh four, but they said I cut it. Uh, I had I had just torn my pack, so I benched four fifty one, and I pulled uh, seven ninety one that day. Yep, for a world record. And he was smallish looking. I mean, at yeah. one hundred eighty, had one hundred eighty pounds. Uh, you didn't look like you could deadlift five hundred much the way you did. You were a muscular guy. I was, you were you were tight and ripped and had veins, but you didn't look like a guy could squat eight hundred. Right, that yep. was like what blew our minds. It was like we heard your opening attempts, and I was like, "That's eh, got to be a typo." Or you know, he's gonna he's trying to psych somebody out. We used to do that. To put in a really high opener and then change it at the last moment. <laughs> yeah, a lot of guys used to do that. You could you could change it before the round started. <laughs> yeah, mm. mess with them. So, but uh, yeah, you crushed it. when you crushed that squat. It was like, and, and I saw the squat. It was a perfectly good squat. There was no reason to turn it down. It was like it was incredible. Like a, this kid was magically levitating these weights, right? And then to end with the with the world record deadlift, I actually had to do again it after following after following yourself. Yeah, but no, after following myself, after pulling it once, back That's in those insane. days, the, the, the weight couldn't stop on the way up. And it stopped a little above my knees, and then, then I finished it. But it didn't go down. It just stopped. Yeah, it wasn't allowed to stop. Uh, and then, so then I had to come back in three minutes and do it again. Wow. Right. Which you did. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. that's that's when we first noticed. I mean, it's like, whoa, right? That was sort of the the real, okay, this guy's special. And then at that point, now how long did you campaign at 81? How many years did you do that? That was that, that was it. I Yeah, I started growing too much. There was no holding back. So why? What do you think? Just age? Uh yeah, I mean I was I was a young kid just body wanting to grow like crazy. Yeah. You weren't a you, you weren't a boy, you weren't a boy anymore. You're becoming a man, right? Uh, I was still a boy. He was he was trying to grow into his hands, right, Ed? Yeah, but I still haven't. <laughs> hey, but I want to ask you. I wanted, I, I wanted it and was obsessed with it. And I had the right training template for me, and I picked the right numbers. Yeah. Picking the right and number is the key to any routine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. And you were always um, uh, uh, conservative and very uh, good at self-analysis. You didn't, it wasn't over. Everybody starts cycles too high, right? You know what I mean? Everybody yeah, is overly, no, no, I was, overly I was, ambitious. I was pretty methodical. And I, I realized that if I just up the training cycle the next time by 
by just 10 or 15 pounds from the beginning. Well, if you did a yeah. set of 10, that's 150 pounds for one set that you went up one set. If you do two sets, that's right. 300 set pounds. Right. So over the course of a whole training cycle and add that in with all your assistance exercises that you're getting strong off of, total weight added is huge to the whole body. The total tonnage, the change in the total tonnage is huge. Right. Yeah, that's great. You can figure that out, right? You know, I know, I, I know the a lot of your old time Eastern Bloc countries used to do it like that too. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, if you look at those Shaco programs, he always has the tonnage written out and all that. Yeah. Interesting. Well, in the, in the off season, you would you would lift heavy too, wouldn't you? And you would start heavier, and because your feeling was, well, if I'm training heavier, I'm going to compete heavier. I'm going to do well, a better I, job. Wanted to, I, I just wanted to be strong, and I I, I went wherever right. my body wanted it to. In the off season, right. I just I just switched my exercises around a little bit. Instead of regular squats, it was high bar close stand squats, which was more of a weakness for me in my in my in my leg size and quads. My back strength and 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 the hips were strong enough. And then in the deadlift, it would be deficit stiff leg deadlifts with no belt. In the bench, it would be benches with uh, my feet. Uh, up. Tell tell us some of the poundage you used in the now that was off the hundred, right? Uh, yeah, it was, it was about three inches. Yeah. What were some and of the weights you used? I'd gone, uh, well in stiff leg deadlifts with no, it would always be with no belt too. Uh, right. I would go into the real high sixes and I'd pause each one on the floor. Jeez. How about that, Jim? Yep. Yeah. But that was, was your... part of the routine. It would be, and it would be for reps. It would be like five, five reps or something too. But weren't you were you were in the eight hundreds, right? I was in the eight hundreds on deficit regular deadlifts, conventional, uh, with no belt. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right. Now look at, at one ninety eight. At one ninety eight, that's when you shocked the world. <clears throat> yeah, that's when I. That's when. That's when. Uh, I don't know. The highest total was twenty fifty or something, and I think I did uh, twenty two hundred my first time out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, at the time, the world record was 2038. Here comes Cone and he goes <laughs> 2200. Okay, 2200 exceeded the world record total in the 220 pound class. More importantly, it exceeded the world record total in the 242 pound class. In the 242 pound class, John Cuck's 2204 total had stood from 1980. The greatest 242ers in the world had taken a run at that 2200. Who? Who? Ed Thor, Jacoby, Vladimir, Kirk, Willie Bell, all these guys. No one exceeded the 2200. Here yeah, even, even, even Fred went up to 242 before. He couldn't do it because of his grip. He had yeah. weak grip. But anyway, but my point being, no one could break 2200 at 242. Cone does it at 198. Okay. So, Ed, you went. Then, wait, wait, wait. There's a punchline. Guess who eventually breaks the 2200 barrier? Cone. <laughs> he does it with like, 20, what was it, at 2463? Um, at 220, yeah, I did 24. Yeah. No, at 220, I did uh, 2402. Yeah, but at 242, 
at your uh, big weight, you did three. So I didn't get a be... chance to do more. I think I, I, I think I, I know I could have done more, but you know, life life said no, not this time. So let me ask and you. This, it still guy. exceeded. It still exceeded it by two hundred and sixty-three yeah, pounds. Yeah, but yeah. at that time, that was the highest total in the world, Ever. regardless of weight Ever. class or federation. Ever. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Marty, now Ed, was, were guys asking you how do you how do you train? What do you do? So this was sort of a departure because it was more like a power building routine because you did a lot of assistance stuff. Yeah, were guys doing more just like the three lifts and maybe you know they weren't doing they weren't doing enough for assistance work because their their weaknesses didn't get stronger. Right. Yeah. Did you see ah. guys start to change their routines? Hold after, that. Hold that. Know, hold that. Successful? Put that on a bumper sticker, baby. Yeah. Your, their weaknesses did not get stronger. So it, it, it held them. It held them back. Yeah. They, continually, when you, when you, they continually played to their strengths. Yeah. Yep. Ed, when you posted that twenty four sixty three, I mean, going into that meet, you had to know that you were just going to crush it. My my uh, question is, did rumors start to get around that, hey, Cone's going to crush the shit out of this thing. He's Look what he's doing in training and all. Or we let, didn't have let's internet don't jump then. ahead. To, let's don't jump ahead to the 2463. At a certain point, there were no rumors. It was just expected. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, exactly. The pressure, every competition, he was expected to do more. Mm. Right. I, see, I, I only did what I could do. I didn't put, I don't put care every, what anyone but, but Ed, Ed, every competition, you did more. <laughs> yeah. A lot more. I, I, I only did what I knew I could do. Uh, well, I, especially on that day. Yes. And that's why your career lasted 20 years because you were always had, even though you lifted tremendous weights, you had, you were uh, conservative. Well, yeah. you, you, you make a decision. Okay. You're you're not in your own gym. You had to weigh in two hours beforehand. You don't have the same spotters, loaders. You're on timer spanks, your strengths. You got uh, uh, judges, so uh, everything is fucking different. And by the time you go um, and start warming up, uh, sometimes that can get to you. So I would, I, I would put in a, a pretty easy opener, yeah. and then I would know after my opener right, right. Uh, this is how the day's going to go this is what i'm going to take next did you sometimes have numbers in the gym better than you did on at the meet oh yeah because in that one video geez you did 975 for a single or a double or something i was wondering like what did you come off of on the meet off of that um let's see I don't think that was the first time I squatted that it might've been the first time I squatted a thousand when it really probably should have been a lot more. Right. Yeah. Okay. May I give an example? Yeah, go ahead. The 900, the 902 pull right. in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. He I actually, doubled it. Oh, yeah. You, wow. doubled, you wow. doubled 900 and pulled 920. Whoa. You doubled 900. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I went I went for uh nine twenty at the uh at the meet, yes. but it was uh, a little bit of uh anticlimactic. Right, so right. I timed yes, yes, I timed yes. my site too early. Yes. Well, again, uh you also 
had squatted 960 before. Yeah, not, you, know, uh, you know what I mean? It was, yeah, it was, uh, 959, uh, bench 545 that day. And then uh, I sure. opened up at, I think I opened up at 837 in the deadlift. Yep. <laughs> 900 was the second. But, you know, we you don't, I had the same thing happen when Kurwaski hit the thousand. You don't take into account kind of the jubilation yeah. and the way the crowd goes wild and the, it's just such a exhilarating, exciting, and exhausting, you know, and exhausting. Yeah, and just, just to get yourself back together and come yeah. back from that, it's like, ooh, I feel like taking a nap. Wait, right? Back up a second. He deadlifted nine hundred for two in the gym. That but was that planned? Was the double planned? Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> now wait a minute. At, at two twenty. Karwaski, when he did the thousand pounds for two, he debated. He sat on his couch all weekend. Am I going to do a single? Am I going to do a double? He was going back and forth. He had a meet coming up. He didn't, you know, he didn't know if he should risk it. And he planned on, he went with going with the double. And you'll see in that YouTube video, he does one. Everybody figures he's going to put it back. They start, you know, motioning yeah. to put it back. Yeah, well, but you he know, did the Eddie, double. You know what, Eddie? In hindsight, he should have, because he would have had a bigger meat squat. He couldn't do probably. It. But you know what? To us back then, there was so much joy of the training part in the gym. Right. Oh yeah. That we didn't worry about it as much. That's a good point. That's great. Well, we thought we'd squat ten fifty. <laughs> yeah, we just enjoyed the training part because that's what we got into. Uh, well, if, you it, it, if you double a thousand, what are you going to do? 10, 10, you know, I mean, yeah. right. Yeah. True. So that's what we thought. If, and his thousand was the second attempt. Everybody yeah, said like we were 10, 10, 25 after that. Yeah. And everybody, everybody dug into my ass for picking that weight. But I said, what am I going to do? Put 10 Oh three. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. He just yep. did a thousand. What am I supposed to put in? Yeah, he, he, he did do that. It was a the kilo mark is a, a thousand three. Yeah, right. Yeah, but again, it's the jubilation factor and the, the people going yeah, crazy you, you, and back you, you, and... you blew your whole um, emotional wad. Yeah. Yes. Well, you should. Yeah. It's a once right. in a lifetime experience, man. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's right. We're going to take a damn minute. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? They're still talking about it, Ed. Oh, yeah. That's cool. What right? about, Ed, the, the first world record you broke? I mean, how important was that to you? Did it totally fire, your, fire you up, or were you like, okay, on to the next one? On to the next one. I didn't really pay attention as much to the world records as I did what my capabilities were. Right. Wow, okay. Now after setting the world on fire at 198 uh-oh <laughs> he comes back weighing 225 right it's like uh, running out of uh, the i think uh, you know, that that when i did the 2400 that was uh i weighed 218 and a half i think yep yep with a two-hour weigh-in yeah wow right and legit judgment. And, and, and again man how many you squatted 960 before you deadlifted 900. How many dudes can do that? It's a, every of these single lift guys that I see out there say, you know what, buddy? You need to squat 900 first. 
And and then, then do your then do your did, single lift deadlift. We we had to walk it out. We didn't we didn't have the uh, specialty power bars back then either. No right. damn right. Yeah, no, we sure didn't. No squat uh, deadlift bars. What do you think you could have pulled at two twenty? You know, two twenty to two twenty five body weight. Best day of your life, sumo. What do you think you could have hit? If you could have stayed sumo, let's say, what could you have hit? Um, I. Uh, <laughs> Well, you, hit nine, you hit 900 conventional, and wasn't your deadlift, all, your sumo always 40 to 50 pounds more? Yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, w w with the same bar, with the stiff bar and under the same conditions, it would have probably been around nine, 940 or something. Okay. Yeah. At what body weight? 218. At 220. Okay. <laughs> but body weight doesn't help that much in the deadlift, does it? Not, not as much depending on how you're built. Right. Well, if you're, you're longer and like leaner, you. if you're longer and leaner or short and fat, you're going to have a problem or like a super heavyweight, they're going to have more of a problem with girth because they can't get into power, the proper position. Yeah. We can't get down right. there. Uh, a, a longer, leaner guy can, and someone like me could. Hey. Right. And again, you're uh, short leg, long torso. Yes. Long arms, big hands. You know, you know how I know that? I wrote, wrote, actually wrote a piece on it one time. We were, we were having a team meeting of Black's gym and before the national championships one time. And Willie Bell was sitting on the bed next to Ed Cohn. Okay. And I'm looking at him. I'm sitting behind him, right? And I'm looking at him. And their torsos are the same height, right? I mean, Ed and Willie's shoulders are even, their heads are even, everything's even. And so I said, Ed must have some short-ass legs. <laughs> yeah, I had, uh, I had Because Willie's 5'10", and he taught me when they stood up, Willie towered over Ed, right? He's 5'10". I was like, wow, yeah. okay. Yeah, Okay. Marty. So stru structural advantage for squatting, deadlifting, right? Uh, yeah. So they so they say. But my my my, <laughs> my deadlift wasn't like a perfect deadlift. I still had to round over a little bit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. But it was, and, it was and your long, it your long right. arms hindered you in the in the bench. Yeah, but it, everything felt right for me the way I did it. Yeah, man, you had some grippers on you, brother. <laughs> yeah, they're still pretty good. Yeah, you squeeze my. He come up behind you and, and squeeze that little blank spot in your traps and touch his fingers together. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> the bench. The bench really wasn't a weak lift for you as far as your total. Oh, oh no, talk not to at him all. about the picture, Eddie. Tell him about the picture. Yeah, I was before my nationals at 181. Right. Um, my bench was going really good. And I figured, well, if two days are good, why don't I try three days? Oh. Yeah, that was a mistake. And what I, you, I what'd your bench, what was your best bench before you pecked toward? It was it was like at it was right around 480 raw at 181. Wow. Right. At 20 years old. Just imagine. So then you tore Imagine if you hadn't bike. tore that hole, Ed. What could yeah, you I, tore big, I tore a chunk out of it and still came back in the meet and did a, a 451. At 181. Yeah. yeah. And you never got that uh, 
surgically fixed or anything like that. The, the, the tendon didn't tear. It was just a big chunk of muscle. Oh, wow. <laughs> what do you think you lost in your bench presses? Or, I mean, what, what do you think you could have? You did a 550 double at 220 raw. Yeah. What do you think you could have benched without a pec tear? It probably would have been around uh, 585 or something. Gosh, right, 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 right. And at your heaviest, that really would have come into play. So you would have definitely busted into the sixes. Yeah, I probably would have hit six. And let's not forget, back then, even when you put a shirt on, there was nothing to those shirts compared to today. No, those those were raw numbers, but I was what, what I did. Right. But even yeah. then, in your later years, even when you wore the shirt, even oh, though I, I, I hated them, I, they made no, it worse. They we made it worse. <laughs> yeah, we were terrible. Uh, so tell us a little bit about when did you meet uh, Doug Furness? Uh, at the YMCA Nationals in like 1983 or something, 1984 maybe. What was his brother's name? Mike. Mike. And what was it? What was his good friend's name who came to the, to the meet? Uh, Gary Burns. I, you know what? I, Gary, I, I, Gary, Gary, Gary Burns. That's it. We, are, we, we still all text each other. We were doing it yesterday. Oh, good, good, good. Tell him I said hello. Uh, Doug told Doug told me uh, many years later. He said he told me about the first time he met you, and he said he said we, we were driving home and we, we were talking to each other. And we said, "Well, who impressed you?" And I and I said to my brother, "I said, you know that really white kid." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know his brother, his brother Mike um, came came up to Doug at the meet at the YMCA and Nationals. And he goes, uh, hey, bub, uh, that little kid you were just talking to, is he okay? He looks kind of sick. He's real pale. <laughs> that little kid. <laughs> <laughs> what were your lips? Tell me your lips. <laughs> um, at that meet, I think it was like a, uh, a 760 squat. That's the first time I went up to 181. It was like a 760, a four-something bench. And a 760 or something deadlift. <laughs> they must have lost it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So wait, they made those comments before you lifted? <laughs> no, after on the ride home, they said, um, oh, we really like that little one. You know that white little kid? little pale cat. <laughs> you know yeah. you can see through? <laughs> yeah. Mm. See, so, Doug and his brother, they, they, they played uh, – at the University of Tennessee in the early 80s, like, you know, 79, 80, 81, 82. Yeah. Um, and Doug was a fullback and Mike was on the line, but uh, Mike didn't even train and he won the collegiate nationals with like a mid to upper seven squat and deadlift and a 485 bench or something. He didn't even train. And I, I think one time at the, back then the commentator made the, made the, made the comment about, uh, at the football game about the uh, the two guys with the best afros on the team and they just happened to be white guys. <laughs> the, the brothers. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey yeah. Ed, there's a there, there's a real good picture of um, let's see, it's it's you and it's uh, Furness, Hatfield, Magruder, Kennedy. That's like a TV show or something, wasn't it? Yeah, that was at the uh, in uh, Tacoma, Washington at a at a contest at Magruder when he worked for the health club chain, uh, they put on. 
Let me tell okay. you what's, what's, what's really fascinating about that photo. As you go from left to right, you see Doug Furness, Hall of Fame guy. Uh, George Hector pointed out to me, Doug was the first guy to tw total 2,400 twice. Yeah. Okay. So, and, all, you know, at a really light body weight. Uh, next to him, of course, was you, looking like uh, somebody's child. Uh, then Fred... <laughs> Who was at his bulbous maximum? He looked yeah. like one more, one more Big Mac, and he was going to explode, right? Yeah, he, he was like a, a <laughs> stuck pig. <laughs> he did, he did. And and then next to him, Magruder, who was a hell of a raw bencher. I saw him do six hundred raw like it was nothing. Yeah, I think my uh, my first my first nationals in '83, he did like five ninety five like nothing, and it, and it was in a full meet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And and then next to him was Doyle. And Doyle was, of course, the, you know, the 900 guy and the, the yeah. great super heavyweight and also the greatest coach ever. Yeah, but he was. You back, he was up, that you back up and you look at the picture and you look at all those Hall of Fame guys. And then the thing that hit me is what, well, you know what? Cone outlifted every single one of them. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Isn't that Marty, crazy? you called him uh, the giant killer. Is that right? Well, I mean, he didn't. I mean, they were his friends and everything. But I mean, these guys are all time greats, and every single one of them Ed outlifted. And what and a Doyle way! He looked like to be about three hundred, yeah, three twenty. Yeah, Doyle, yeah about Doyle that. was my height. He was my height, and I. Dude, he was so thick, man. He was thick as hell. He was a bear. Yeah. Yeah, he took off his shirt. It looked like he still had a sweater on. <laughs> <laughs> but Ed, what was it about you that just made you so much better than everybody else? I mean, it's probably a combination of things, I'm sure. But is there a singular, you know, thing at the top that just really stands out that made you better focus. or want to be better? The my ability to focus, I think, was extremely strong, and I was in my own little world with writing up routines and numbers and figuring stuff out to make it exact so I would never, ever miss in training. Yeah. So just extreme think, dedication. I also, think, I also think that the training itself is so vastly underrated. If, if modern trainees would please, God, just start using some cone precepts and some cone programming and some cone, it's just common sense, rationale, cause and effect stuff. It's just science and biology. Yeah, he does a little more volume, a little more Kaz-like, and I guess the other extreme would be Chalet, who I don't know how you could do less and still be training. Yeah, I think Mark lifted one time a year, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a single, for a single. Yeah. Spent, Mark, Mark spent more time in the tanning bed than he did training. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just but, find it fascinating that that instinctively you knew that all that assistant stuff was going to eliminate weak yeah. points. You know, it just eliminated weak points. You, you know, you just went into those meets and you just didn't have anything that, oh, it's my lockout. Because you were doing close grips. You didn't, you didn't have to worry about well, it. Well, what I, what I did in the offseason with my, with my heavy compound assistants yeah. is I treated like like it was a meat lift. I treated so it cycled. like a regular training cycle. Right, you cycled. I, I, made, I, I did my close grip cycle the same is my bench and my inclines were the same as that. Wow. And my shoulder presses were the same as that. My stiff leg deadlifts were the same as that. My bent over rows were the same as that. My high bar squats were the same as that. So I treated 
treated it not for development's sake, but to get strong sake, right. which is, you know, a different end. Ah, ah, expand on that. Well, I, I didn't, I figured at a certain time that if I could be the best I could be in powerlifting, I would look pretty fucking good anyways. So I didn't mm -hmm. worry about it. Yeah. 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 So uh, muscles were an unintended side consequence of getting real strong. Yeah. They go hand in hand, kind of. Who would know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. Dor Dorian, Yates, Dorian Yates found out. We talked about him with yeah. him a couple of weeks back and we brought you up. He said, yeah. Because I told him, I said, you know, at the peak, when Ed was at his peak and Dorian was at his peak, you guys trained very similar. Yeah, they did a thing side by side in muscle and fitness. I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I wrote it. And and basically it comes down to Dorian did did powerlifting with four straps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Other than that, the template was pretty much the same. He hit the major list one time a week, right? And yeah, his, his did, emphasis on some of his assistance work was obviously a little bit different, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And his approach, yeah. And and again, he he tried he's even though he was doing four reps, he always stayed within his limit to avoid getting hurt. Now he yes. did get hurt. He did get hurt, but um, I, I'll tell you a cool line, Marty. Uh, yeah. a, a couple of weeks ago, a buddy of mine was in town from North Carolina and he was at the gym and I was doing some seated pushdowns just because they're harder. You don't have to use as much weight. And who would have thought? Yeah. And right after I'd finished my set, he on video, he asked me how my uh, how my body felt after all the years. And I said, I'll explain it to you this way. <clears throat> Anytime you do anything in life to try to be a best, the best at, yeah. whether it be a sport, a school or a doctor or whatever it is, whatever it is, your job or whatever, you know, hobby you have, there's consequences to those actions. If you do it long enough to try to be the best, because right. you, you take it to an extreme, yeah. just right. make sure, be just make sure before you're done with all that, that you do some epic shit. There you go. There you go. Yeah. That's right. If you're going to give your body to the sport, you might as well end up doing epic stuff. That's right. Yeah. And one thing that's always impressed. One go thing ahead, that's man. always impressed me about your training was um, your behind the neck press. Now, I think at one time you were doing up to four oh five or maybe even more. Yeah. Was, but yeah. You know, uh, uh, but a lot of lifters can't even do that because it just hurts their shoulders. They can't reach back. I think. Karwaski couldn't even do him because he's too tight. But um, how, I mean, what were you doing? You were doing 405 behind the, the head for yeah. like five? 405. And the, see, the reason is I started off doing behind the necks. I right. didn't like standing presses because my short legs and long torso would force yeah. me to lean back too far. I didn't like the, how it felt on my back. Right. So when I started doing them, I didn't have a lack of, you don't have a lack of mobility when you start out training. Right. So I did them all the time. So I developed the mobility in the shoulders to be able to do that all the time. I've Most people, if all you do is standing presses and, and regular front presses all the time, you don't have the ability, the mobility to do that. So right. when you start off, that's why people get hurt. That's right. 
Um, did you do the front presses too? No, very little. I just like behind the neck. I like the way it felt. Yeah. So great. You know, we all did them in the eighties and nobody does them anymore. You know, you never, no, that was, that was Ted Arcidi's big lift. He did them standing, right, Ed? He did them standing. Yeah. That's a bad dude. Yeah. And would you not agree that if you push up the press behind the neck that pushes the bench up? Oh, there's a direct correlation with it. Yeah, that's really the reason we do it. Yeah, I mean, look at that's why that's why I hit my back so hard. Where do you put the bar when you squat? What do you lay on that stabilizes in the bench? What do you pull Mm -hmm. with the with the deadlift? Everything has to do with the back. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I, I went, uh, when Kevin Lavroni made his comeback a couple of years ago, I went down and saw him and he was doing behind the necks, man. He was doing yeah. 15 for reps or whatever. And I was like, the only two people I can think of are Ed Cohn and, and Kevin that are still doing <laughs> it. And, and Kevin's shoulders are like, you know, like boulders. Yeah, he had some really cool shoulders. Yeah, huge. The, the Kevin Lavroni saying would be shaboom. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he always says. May I tell a funny Kevin LeBron Kurkarwaski Ed Cohn story? You, Ed, one time came to Baltimore for a bench press championship with one of your lifters. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a good looking young guy. And afterwards, we went out to a seafood restaurant that Kirk picked. And there was a bunch of people. They were like two sides loaded up with people. And Kirk was sitting at the like the head of the table so we're eating and all that's of a good, sudden that's he, he could he couldn't fit in the regular side of the table <laughs> all of a sudden out of nowhere kevin lebroni appears and he goes straight up to kirk he goes hey kirk how are you doing buddy yeah and kirk like looks up he's like and he's still eating and he goes he puts a a weak hand to go, hey, hey, Kevin, how you doing, man? And he goes, back to eating. And Kevin goes, well, okay, Kirk, we'll see you later. And Kirk goes, eh, whatever, see you later. And <laughs> everybody at the table is like, God, God, Kirk, why did you, could you not introduce Kevin Lebroni, the number two guy at the Olympia, to Ed Cohn, who just happened to be sitting here? And Kirk, it wouldn't even occur to Kirk. Yeah, he really respects right. power lifters too. LeBron, yeah, it's just his personality, but that is a that is a such a tell on Kirk. Yeah. Ed, do you have anything to say on Kirk? <laughs> oh no, you could just Kirk was always going to be Kirk. He didn't ever try to be anyone else. That's why you could still be friends with Kirk to this day. Yeah, there was nothing uh, fake about Kirk. Everything you saw was Kirk. The best. Ed, Ed, were you one of the the uh, buffet boys? You know, uh, Marty's always talking about how him and his posse, after a uh, hard day of lifting, would uh, go hit the buffet and they just stay there all day and eat. I don't think you were like that, right? You no, I, of... I never had a big appetite, anyways. Yeah, and I asked you last time. I said, "Was your diet just totally dialed in and scientific? Here, you are the greatest power lifter in the world. You know, you think something phenomenal is going on with the the nutrition, but you're like." I just ate what I felt like eating, right? Yeah. The, the only thing I did different, I think, than everyone is at about midnight every night, I would have a big steak and then I'd go to bed. That yeah. Was that, that, that was, was it. That was the secret. Right? Jim, that was it. We just found it out. But think That's about it, secret. man. You got that. Now you're going eight hours. Most people yeah. don't do that. You're going eight hours without any protein and that tissue remodeling takes place your body wants it and you gave it to it yeah but it yeah, wasn't and, counting. And, and, and now now you realize that well 
since the meat has some good fat in it, it takes a little longer to digest. So yes. that would be like your casein protein all exactly. night long. Exactly. Yeah. And you yeah, weren't and counting macros or the... I never know, counted. I, I, you know what? My whole career, I looked in the mirror and I felt how I felt. And that's yeah. how I knew it. Yeah. Ed also had a uh, top secret power breakfast. What was that? Yeah, like fucking cocoa puffs and frosting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. when uh, your mother would uh, crunch up the what was it, the graham crackers? Oh yeah. Oh man, but the steak, <laughs> the steak counterbalance. You know? Oh, Jim, sure. write, Jim, write this down. I mean, oh, I think yeah, we got all. some good secrets here. Yes, yeah, we were with uh, we were out somewhere one time with uh, with Gene Donet. Yeah, Big Gene. Yeah, Big Gene. We love Gene. So we were out and we we're stop somewhere to get something to eat so ed gets a couple of hot dogs and gene's like he's eating hot dogs and he's like yeah ed, he's eating hot dogs he says what is he using mustard or ketchup <laughs> Secret That's stuff, funny. you know what at, at a world championship in finland i go up to the buffet and i get my food i bring it back but on the table i had a little thing of uh Carboplex, I think it was called at the time. Yeah. And I uh, I put it on a bunch of cereal or, so, or oatmeal or something, and I ate it. And everyone else watched me, and they went up and they put sugar. They got sugar and put it all over everything because it was the same color. They didn't realize it was uh, Carboplex. <laughs> That's great, man. <laughs> yeah, you faked them out. All so and at the end of your career, you moved up to – the 242 pound clash. And, yeah, and well, just, again. just for just for safety. And I, I knew I wouldn't be able to uh, maximize my squat if uh, under safe conditions, if I stayed too lean at 220. Oh, and again, how did you uh, lose your capacity to swim out? Uh, I tore an adductor in training. Okay. A lot of times when I wedged in and got tight, I was really damn tight. And the bar would actually come up uh, mid-shin before I would even even try to pick it up. Whoa. And there was a little lapse in there where it fires up and then my body catches. And I I tore a ch little chunk of adductor out. <laughs> like low, oh, low, low, yeah. low inside. Yeah. And that's when... Then I figured, out. Uh, oh, let me see what I could do conventional. I know, and and you, but you were always smart because you you also when you talk about Cone's off season training, he lifted as raw as possible. He disadvantaged himself in as many ways he could think of, uh, and he got as strong as possible. Right that way, when the when the when the real season swung into into gear, he was ready to roll. Yeah, right, and that yeah. is missed. Now I, got in, I got in shape to be able to do what I wanted to do better. It, but the way that he did it was he made things harder. This day and age, everybody's trying to make things easier. Yeah. And it's in you. If you make things harder, you can and should do less. And, right, of course. and Marty. Marty, well, there was you a... say, of course, but I mean, it's all everyone everywhere is just advocating, you know, well, yeah, you know, so six days a week and, you know, triple split. 
you know better than we do, Ed. You're out there on the front edge. You know how well, they overcomplicate over stuff. A lot of the routines now, I would add in more assistance work. Yeah. But a lot of the guys now do know the value of picking the right numbers. So a lot of them do pick the right numbers now with training as far as the uh, how they cycle that. But I, I think uh, I think they some of them could do a better job of some exercise selection to complement their lifts. What, what, so would you, uh, what, what are you thinking of when you say that? What, I mean, do you have specific Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of guys that do a lot of volume on squat bench and deadlift, and that will help you and get you strong up to a point. But after a certain point of strength, yeah. those glaring weaknesses that you yes. haven't trained in those patterns yeah. will come out and that'll be your detriment. Yes. Well, what would you, what uh, <clears throat> exercises generally would you use to even things out? More, more close grips, more shoulder work, tons more fucking rows and stiff leg deadlifts, more mm -hmm. high bar close stance or high bar close stance pause squats, stuff yeah. like that. They got to, they, they got to jump into that. Arm work. Yeah. If you took the guys, this is hypothetical. The top guys from today, and, and I'm legit guys that are, you know, squatting deep and all that, took all their equipment off, put the equipment on that you guys had, and, and you all competed against each other. Do you think you guys would still come out on top? A, a, a bunch of us would, but, you know, over, over time, there's, I mean, evolution. There's some really strong guys out there, but the, the biggest thing would not be exactly what the equipment we wore, but the, a squat bar and a deadlift bar and 24-hour weigh-ins. Right. Yeah. They'd have to do the same thing y'all did, you know, yeah. to make it even. Right. Yeah. You think, yeah. Um, and, and legitimate judging. Yeah. The, the, there, there's a, there's a, there's uh like the, the USPA Federation for the most part yeah. has yeah. really good judging now. And some people that have Absolutely. a lot of honor, a lot of honor. But there. And the IPF will always past, past that, past that, you, it's, it's pretty bleak. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of bullshit out there that you can glaringly see. If you see a squat that looks high from the front, it's even higher from the side. <laughs> well, I love love the uh, the IPF rule is actually very simple. It's that if unless a lift is unquestionably below parallel, fail it. Gray zone tie does not go to the runner. You know, no. If it's in the gray zone, flunk it. Very easy. You know, but. It's a mystery to these other federations. They have, I don't know, I don't know. It's, uh, anyway, but uh, let's let's let let's move on. I like what you're talking about. Every exercise that you mentioned is still a core movement. There's, you're not talking about bands or chains or plyometrics. No, no or, one even knew about that stuff at the time. Right. Do you and and from your tone. I would assume that you're you're feeling that, and we didn't miss nothing. No, I I think um, like there's a, a lot of bands and chains are are really good for equipped lifting, because the when you put on the equipment nowadays, a lot of the uh, the strength curves is a little different, and chains and bands aid with that. Um, back when we did with with raw, I don't think it works as well though. As far as with bands, I. Chains could work well because right. of uh, you have to stabilize harder, and the chains still weigh a, a, a certain amount of weight. Yeah, and you got to push all. So, so Ed, so Ed, with all the tools that are available now that weren't available back then, back in your day, 
had you had those, do you think you could have been, uh, you know, lifted much more than you did back in those days? Or it made I had a difference? no idea. I was happy with what I did and the way I did it. Um, I probably could have um, done a little prehab and rehab work better, but yeah. we didn't know about it as much back then. Yeah. Right. You know, that uh, stuff would have aided, but, you know, you know, in retrospect, you know, sure, everyone could do more if they did better things. Yeah. But it's just not in the cards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would I would suggest that it's the exact opposite that the if the modern trainees that are stuck, rather than look for the next new thing, the next revolutionary brand new, look to the past to the stuff that worked. Uh, yeah, buckle down and the, put in some time. Yeah, good yeah, point, the, Marty. The cone, the cone methodology is ageless they, no one it is physiologically impossible to not get results if you do his progressive resistance strategy as it is designed you could not unless you starved yourself to death i guess i don't know yeah. but that's profound because everyone's searching around mindlessly for the golden needle in the haystack of what works and we have what works. No, everyone's in, right in front of your way face. out. Yeah. Well, yeah, they were, yes. And and we're a little too plain vanilla, aren't we? In our methodology. A lot of people forget the hard work, the work. But I mean, there's there's some really fucking good lifters out there, even you know, that are strong as hell. So I don't I don't even dwell on the past when no, it comes not, to them. I'm I not I'm, I don't I don't have no idea what's going on. I'm just talking about generally speaking for even kind of normal people that's what yeah. that's with every sport yeah. buckle down and do the fucking work to what it's going to take to get better not to be uh satisfied with with what everyone else tells you how great you are yeah find a way and, find a way to get better and revisit the fundamentals that you may never have learned to begin with yeah the basics never go out of style you always got to go back to learn how to do a a jab across and a hook yeah. Yep. Well, it's very unpopular. Yeah. Can we go much further in strength than we already have? Uh, I don't think. Well, so. it depends on the factors, man. Uh, raw lifting—that's tough, you know. But the thing is, they keep coming up with you know different equipment, different bars. Well, with gear, and sure. I, I know the answer for that. Point. One, yeah. You got to get to the point where the body says, "Okay, enough's enough." You know what I mean? Um, I will say that knee sleeves are wonderful. Yes, they make you feel good, don't they? <laughs> yes. Mark Mark yeah. Filippi told me, uh, and this is back when only the strong men were using like knee sleeves, the Ray Ban stuff. And uh, now the most popular is uh, you know Mark Bell Strong and uh, SBD. Right. And mm -hmm. Mark Filippi told me, Eddie, once you put these on, you're never <laughs> ever going to want to take them off when you train again. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I, on the elbows too, man, I think that, you know, as you get older, get the, to keep that warmness in your elbows and knees. Yeah, it's just a, a, a warm moistness is like, it makes your knees and joints feel really good. Yes. Ed, did you have uh, knee problems? We know you, you no. had some issues with your hips, but uh, any other problems? I mean, I, I blew my knee out at the one knee, but that was just because uh, I set up wrong, but no, I yeah. never had knee problems. My, you know, my, my hip and anything else is you, it's genetic from arthritis from like my mom. Yeah. My mom had, you know, four replacements done. Oh boy. Wow. Yeah. 
Hey, I always wanted to ask you this. Who's the greatest lifter you ever saw? Um, that it, 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 It's a toss-up. Like, you have Anaba from Japan. You have uh, Oleg at the time from Poland. And you had you have Fedosenko now who goes run equipped in Russia at the lightest body weight and beats everyone every single time, both in raw and with equipment. Really? What's his, where yeah. is raw lifts? I don't know. He's just strong as hell. Okay. And he's not a young uh, man anymore. Mm-hmm. Marty, Marty, I want to ask you something about the off season, yeah, because I think this is where Ed kind of stands out too. Um, you know, he, he had to pedal to the metal, even uh, in the off season. But that pretty much contrasted what most everybody else was doing. Is that right? I mean, people were taking vacations. Oh, and, I don't know. I, you know, I don't. I'm, I just know that he tr- radically changed. It's just, there's an art to changing the training menu, but you're really not. I mean, you're mm-hmm. still squatting, but you're changing it to a significant degree that all of a sudden it's interesting and fresh, and it benefits. Your Big main squad, your competition squad. Right? Did you take any time off after the IPF Worlds, Ed, or you, would you go right back in the gym? No, by by the Wednesday, I'd go in the gym and do a light squat and bench. And then on the Friday, I'd do a light deadlift. Then I would be recovered for the following week. And you'd be starting another cycle. Yeah. And Marty, what were you guys doing, as an example? How did, how did that contrast? In terms of what? In terms of, you know, after the meet, what were you guys doing? Were well, you I tell you, man, uh, uh, no. Um, we're just switching it around. It depends. It depends what phase you're in and what your life situation was like. A lot of us had, if you have uh, wives and families and kids and jobs. and you That's know, when you pick your vacation. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's good. Ed, I wanted to. You know, when I talk to people about the great competitions that Larry Pacifico put back on in the 80s, they they look at me like I'm talking about Rome before it fell, right? Yeah. Do you remember how incredible those competitions were You were at the Dayton Convention Center? Yeah, Larry at the Stouffer's, yeah. Larry, yeah. Learned, Larry learned that he was a good businessman, and he learned that, you know, he had to spend money to make money. So he would make it the fucking event of the year. Oh, it was fantastic. And there was one organization, right? Yes. Yes, that was the beauty of it. All the top, the best of the best showed up for the national championships. And he had it in a beautiful location. He would fill the hall on the heavy, the heavyweight days would be like overflow crowd. Uh, extremely well organized uh, he would pick us remember he would pick us up at the airport ed yeah he'd have like sean scully or somebody drive out with a band and pick you up at the airport your you know your your airfare was paid your room was paid they had that lobster buffet at that restaurant on sunday that was incredible and the the sky walkway that walked from yeah. the hotel to the meat site and uh, it was just in, incredible. And, and to see how powerlifting has devolved into, I mean, it's pathetic. Now, now all you have is girlfriends and training partners at, uh, you know, the local high school. 
And well, I'll tell just... you what. I went to the USAPL Nationals last year that were in Lombard, Illinois, pretty close to me. And the whole place was completely plat- packed with five platforms. Wow. There was over a thousand lifters in the whole meet. That's because the raw right? men and women. Yeah. What'd you think? What was your what was your, it was, was it? it was it was like the old days. It was badass. It was cool. fucking packed and screaming and lights and yeah. it was great. Good. Don't don't you think that the influx of the raw lifters really helped it? Oh, huge. Yeah. And you know what else helped powerlifting a lot? Yeah, man. Crossfit. CrossFit. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Sir. All yeah, these CrossFitters sure. want to get bigger and stronger and improve their CrossFit so they know they got to do some of the power lifts to get better. Yeah. Squat and deadlift for sure. All right. Yep. Marty uh, wrote yeah. a great article on that. And Marty, you were talking about how powerlifting was dying. You know, it was all geared and everything else. And here comes CrossFit to uh, revive it. Yep. Yeah. A thousand lifters. Yeah. Plus. Wow. Isn't that great? It was really cool. Now, uh, that's, that, that, that's fantastic. So now, where was this held? Lombard, Illinois. Okay. 35 so, minutes that, from me. Now, this feeds into the IPF World Championship team? Yeah. How, how is the United States doing currently? They do really exceptionally well every year. This year, Good. get this, the IPF suspended them. The IPF went to water rules and they said all the USAPL drug testing had to be done through water in the, in the IPF instead of the USAPL doing all the drug tests themselves. So it would mean that, that USPL, USAPL would do like an astronomically less amount of drug tests, but have to pay a ton more money. Right, so basically water. the IPF suspended them for a year. Yep. For doing less, for doing too many drug tests. Oh my gosh. Yep. So that's the IPF is like fucking idiots. Well, they're also they're, they're, they've always somebody's issues. Somebody's padding somebody's pocket. It's just stupid. It's money, greed. Sure. So, so that's, uh, uh, yeah, another reason. All right. Well, anyway, so <laughs> any, if you have a, a regular person come in and see and not, Maybe an ex-athlete, forty-year-old, wants to get back in shape. How do you how do you handle such a person? Do you do you work with regular people at all? And if you do, yeah, yeah, once, it, once in a while. No, it's it's everything is the same except for I don't put them through a lot of high volume because they'll probably break down at that point. Yeah. Okay. So I, I concentrate first on the the purity of the movement. Uh, <laughs> no pain, great movement. And then you go on from there. Nice. But it has to start there about, or else you're fucked. How about frequency? How many, how many times a week? You can get away with three times a week at the most. Two times a week if they're like a, a truck driver or have a hard stress job. You, here's what it is. It's the only ideal way is it has to fit your lifestyle to make it work. Well, you won't do it. Yeah. So you make it work the best you can do. It may be not like you may be able to get stronger if you did it a different way, but you can't do it a different way. So it's a non-issue. Yeah. Good point. Exactly. <laughs> so what ideally, what, how long would you limit session length to? Uh, when I got done? <laughs> no, but I'm saying like, again, with our 
kind of normal it's individual. Um, uh, I, 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 well, if, if they're really strong, it's going to take longer because they got longer set right. many more warm-ups to do. Right. But right. normally it would probably be from exact start to finish hour to hour and a half. Okay. Right. Because what you would do is, is you could take a little more time with your main exercise and you could go a lot faster in your assistance work to get it done. You only right. need a couple of assistance work after you're done with your main exercise. If you train the, the main exercise right and with enough intensity, like you can do a set of 10 with, let's say you had a 300 pounds. Um, if that set of 10 is so easy that you didn't really have to put any energy into it, what did you get out of it? But this you're is not, where you're not going to trigger. Yeah, you're not going to trigger some, hypertrophy. Yeah, this is where some fr Fred Hatfield stuff puts in. If you treat 300 pounds with a little more aggressiveness and mm. make it easy by how much you put into that, that uh, how much how much force you put into it, you change the intensity of everything you just did. Right. And you have to acceleration. Right. Yeah, compensatory and, and acceleration. You, yeah, and you have to use more muscle because you moved it faster. You, you know what I, Ed, you know what I noticed about Kirk? Uh, Kirk recently, you know, up until, let's say, a year ago, he trained with this for three years, right? Yeah. So, and so he's retired and he's coming back and I'm looking at him and he never grinds ever. Not his, his, his warm up looks exactly like the last rep when he's top set. That's a, uh, <clears throat> that's good weight selection. Yes. See what happens. I think Marty at our age, um, look, I included you in with our age. So now you're a kid again. Wow. <laughs> um, Promotion. Hey, man. Hey, man. When you, when you've done it for so long and yeah. you got a lot of miles on it yeah. structurally, we're very strong. There's a lot of things are in us in us that are really, really strong, but there's some things that are a little weak that aren't the same as they used to be. So if you push it up to a too high of a point, something you'll have a little pop or a pull or something like that. So to avoid that, you put more into a little bit lighter weight and concentrate on the movement and uh, how much force you put into that weight to get more out of it. Yeah. And which we results in velocity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you pull it faster to make it harder. Yeah, that's a lot of that. That's a lot of, uh, of uh, Fred Hatfield stuff. Yeah. yeah, Fred called it compensatory acceleration. Yeah, he went over to yeah. Russia quite a few times and really, really, really dove in to the the back alleys with the Russian lifters and the trainers. Yeah, and and he brought that home, and he he told back to you, and I told back to young Kirk Karwaski, who idolized you, and. All I had, you know, I would tell him 80% of what I told him if I prefaced it by, I just got off the phone with Ed and he said. Yeah, remember at the one Nationals, he came in all cocky and said, I'm going to break the squat record. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And he failed miserably. Yes, he did. And then you yes. and I had a talk. Yeah. And then we started to develop and try to make uh, Kirk Kowalski a little more uh, – Cohen-esque. Uh, oh, absolutely. And we had to knock some of the rough edges off him. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> it worked. But you know what? Look at the, the difference between Kirk and I is Kirk at the end of his training cycle like to take a couple singles and go a little bit heavier and push it because yeah, that's just Kirk's personality and <clears throat> it kept him mentally stronger because right. he had a little more confidence. Right, right. And that so, was import important to him. Kirk, Kirk really got energy from an audience. You didn't really care whether anybody was there. You no, know mine, I mean? was in, mine was internal. Yeah, yeah. Kirk really fed off. I mean, there were crowds of people that would show up for his Monday squat sessions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think women got pregnant just from watching Kirk squat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're watching. Well, we're, we were yeah. watching. Uh, I was sitting in Kirk's apartment and we're watching a thousand for two. He goes, dude, everybody was there. Look, we even got a little person there. And there's a there's a little person. <laughs> yeah. Standing in the corner, uh, cheering him on, man. And always, and always in the spotting was Big Bob Myers. Big Bob, yeah. With a voice like a like a foghorn, he looked like Bluto, and he'd say things like, "Your mother needs new snow tires," and we're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he always had a different line, didn't he? Oh my god! And it's hard, it, what, it's it was hard. like a. Like uh, Steve, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, the comedian Steve Carroll or whatever it is when he yeah. was an anchor man, and he would just blurt out crazy shit. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, Ed. You know, oh, here's another thing about Ed Cohn. Ed Cohn squatted over a thousand pounds, wrapping his own knees. That's I. I'm telling you, we were Rob Wagner and I were in the office at Penn, and he goes, "Man, let's watch the Cohn video." You know, and he and he's doubles nine fifty with straps down, and he's wrapping yep. his own knees. And I'm going, he's wrapping his own knees. Remember, man, you had somebody cranking your knees. You know, you always had you always had two people and they were pulling them as hard as they could and trying to cut you. And and Ed's over there like, you know, hey, this is another day of and, and, but yeah, and, and the, the new knee wraps are better and longer. Now, if you want to see something funny, I'm, you guys will like this. Watch a video, <laughs> find a video of Andre Milanichev wrapping Sam Bird in Australia. Sam Bird actually has tears coming down his eyes. <laughs> Good. 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 Well, I tell you what, Eddie, you might have had, maybe not you, but any, any human would have tears coming down their eyes. Having Bob Myers wrap your legs. Ed, he could pick up a hundred pound smooth plate in each hand and walk across the gym yeah. and hold a conversation with you. Right. I had Doug, I had Doug, Doug Furnace wrap my knees once. And when I took ah. the knee wrap off, little chunks of flesh from the back oh, of my man. knee came off on the knee wrap. And oh, oh, Never like, again. I got it. I got it. Never again. You know what? Oh, I had to be able to con control the weight and, and hit the hole faster. And if I wrap my knees too tight, I couldn't do that. So I just wrapped them myself. You know, I would submit that those knee sleeves today, are almost like the knee wraps you guys used to use. I mean, you can get yeah, they're they're pretty good, good now. Those uh, also, also Ed's uh, squat suit was pretty well worthless. I mean, we always he always talked about let he would talk about well, I'm going to leave the straps down in training, but there really wasn't much to put up. No, when I when I did a when I squatted ten nineteen, um, I had a four year old squat suit on that had repairs on it. 
Yeah, and it'd be like one person would casually put it up on your oh, shoulder. Oh yeah, Milano, uh, Milanovich would just stand there yeah, and Tommy, just put them up. Tommy. Are are those training tapes that you made back then with Tom Milanovich, and are they still available? You know what? I might have a few DVDs. Mark Bell redid them for me. Yeah. Okay, that's what we need to find out because those, those, are, inv- those are invaluable. And those what I should made- do, what I should do is I should re-release them because mark gave me a few copies yes yes because he wasn't yes. he, he, he's too busy so he doesn't even bother with them anymore so i should just uh have them redone yeah and uh sell them again and the same with that book everyone asked me about the damn book i'm like i don't have, i wrote the book i don't have a copy anymore i hear I it's even, going I, for I, like i think I, I think i have a couple copies i'd have to check my uh my sister's house in, in their basement underneath the stairs to see if there's any boxes of them left. If well, there is, I'll let you know. Well, they're going for 500 euros in Denmark. <laughs> Just look at them for like on Amazon or something, or you could, they, some of them cost like 300 bucks or something. Wow. And that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like, well, okay, maybe we should like re- get, I'll talk to my editor, reprint this thing, put it out. I mean, there's still a demand for it. People all the time. Hey, man, where do I get a cop? I say, talk to Ed Cohn. I don't know. Yeah, yeah right? that would be something to consider. <laughs> yeah, again, because it's uh, it, it was it was factual and it was taken. It was a snapshot of you taken right at. Uh, you you hadn't injured yourself yet. No, it was a good time. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of taken at, right at the peak of things, right? So it was. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, that's it's, something that we should look into. A, a, a lot of people don't know the history that would like to know the history of certain lifters that they actually admired the way they lifted. I mean, don't you think it's cool that that, that in 97 or 96, I was in Florida coaching high school and I'm watching your video to get fired up to squat, man, you know, and everybody's doing that around the country, you know, everybody that's loves it like you do and everything. And I'm, I'm like, man, come on guys, let's, I build a wrestler and had a big Fu Manchu. And I was like, man, come on, let's watch Cone before we go to squat, man. And we're sitting there. Now, how, how old are you? I'm 54. Yeah. Okay. So you're just a little younger than me. Right. Right. So Kirk and I grew up, you know, right in the same area, playing the same. No, place. no, no. You got. Uh, you guys never grew up. Don't even say that part. <laughs> no. Yeah. We stayed out of it. Yeah. Hey, I got a quick question about gear. Um, when when gear first came out, you know, like the bench shirt and stuff like that, was the original idea just to give you added support or did they have lifting more, you know, allowing you to lift more weights in mind or did it just kind of evolve into that as, as the technology? invented is always invented <laughs> for the sheer reason to improve performance, to make you lift more yeah. weight. People always argue and say, oh, well, it protects the shoulders. Oh, it protects this. No, it's so you lift more weight. You just hey. get hurt with more weight. Hey, Ed, Ed the bet my favorite was on the monolith. Oh, it's much safer. And I go, well, that presupposes there was some epidemic of walkout injuries, <laughs> yeah. which there never yeah. was. Yeah. The, no. You know, the, the only walkout injury I ever saw was the one that uh, ABC Wide World of Sports kept playing over and over again of Paul Jordan yeah. blowing his knees out after yeah. Tony Fitton told me he'd snorted half a gram of cocaine. Oh, mm. Paul, Paul, <laughs> Paul Jordan went on to uh, be an unbelievable horse trainer in uh, Australia. Unbelievable. Mm. Who knew, right? Ed, and, when, and it's, when, go ahead, man. Ed, when you did the 
the pro meet, the WPO. Was that a monolith? Yeah, but I walked it out. You walked it out anyway, right? And it was a thousand yeah. what? A thousand thirty-eight. Thousand thirty-eight walked out, and everybody else did the monolith, and Ed walked it out. That's <laughs> classic. I love it. Love it. And I and I thought I cut a thousand thirty-eight, just a tiny bit high, and uh, but for them at the time, uh, a little bit high was buried. Yeah. Yeah. God. Don't get us started. Mm. That 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 was the John Henry beats the machine moment. Yeah, there was a lot of bullshit back then. Yeah. Well, don't get us started in the, the whole geared movement, but because it's been great to this point. What's uh what's going on with you currently and going into the future? Were you still in Chicago? You still in the in the, in the, in the suburb, yeah. Okay. I got a business uh, opening up and just a little before the first of the year in a Buchanan, Michigan, it. which is an hour and a half drive. Tell us about it. What's going on? Cannabis processing lab. Yes. That's where the money is, baby. Hey, Marty, we're going. Marty, we're going, baby. Marty. Yeah. <laughs> so I what we do. A, I should be is, in a cannabis hall of fame. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So what we do is we break marijuana down and we make it into hash of uh, vape cartridges and gummies. And we sell it all to the recreational stores. Wow. We, we partnered with a company in Colorado called Cushmaster. And we'll, we have the exclusive rights to make their products in Michigan. And uh, they've won like 20 something cannabis cup awards. And so there's, their stuff is really good, especially their, their gummies. And uh, the, the process we do it's uh, is we take we take a product right when it's harvested, and we and it's frozen. Mm. So then we get it from a certain whoever whatever grower of you know fresh frozen. So there's less degradation of the plant, mm. and we break it down in ice cold water, so we don't use any chemicals. So it would be considered organic. Right. So that, that that's my new project, and, and it's going to go really really well. Yeah. How many states can you guys sell that to now? It's not federal, so it's only in Michigan. But there's more than enough in Michigan and whatever states are legal in to go around. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, only be based in, we'll only be based in Michigan because you're not allowed to cross <laughs> state line with stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. Wow. Well, now, you are you going to remain Chicago or are you going to relocate to Michigan? Yeah, but when we do well enough, I'll just buy a little place an hour and a half in Michigan on, yeah. on one of the lakes. <laughs> yeah, that's a great business. I mean, that's you know, Marty. A lot of our special forces guys that have retired are, are getting into the the, the uh, you know, not just the cannabis, but the CBD and all that. It's huge market. It's a huge. Yeah. Market. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially for people who have been in the military who have any type of issues whatsoever, just to be able to sleep and get rid of yeah. some anxiety. It's huge. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Ed, can I ask you one more question? I think Anything. this is uh, I think this is pretty important. Now, you've been the best in the world at something. Most of us will never be able to say that. But what would what advice would you give to, especially the the young men and women out there that that really aspire to be the best at something? What advice would you give them? You know, and I I did a, a podcast with the guy from Squat University, and um. Stuart McGill and another, uh, a brilliant uh, research scientist, Dr. Andy Galpin. Yeah. 
And they asked me the same thing. Andy asked me the same thing. And I said, what, what was the key to your success? I said, I took my time. Mm. Okay. Take your time. Methodical. Don't be in a rush. You always dot your I's and cross your T's. You yeah. never miss anything. And you learn more along the way as you progress. And you, you build a bigger, better, more uh, scientific base for your body type right. uh, base than you could ever imagine. And you last way longer. Mm. I, I think that applies to many different things, whether you're talking about powerlifting or whatever, uh, if you're a business owner or whatever, uh, because everybody's in such a rush, you know, and I'm a business owner and I've, I've been guilty of that too. And you, you make mistakes, but you're very methodical in yeah. your career and how you did everything. And that's one of the reasons that you were the best. Yeah. It's, it's the, to keep the beginner's enthusiasm, but have enough sense to be methodical in your approach Look, if, training. If you, if you see some people in a room and you've got some athletes from any sport that are there that did it for years and years, they don't even train anymore. You could look at them and say, hmm, that guy looks like he did something before. Mm -hmm. Because they set up that base, they changed their whole structure over a longer period of time where it's like evolution. Eddie, a few years back, I was mowing the grass and I had a tank top on and kids in the neighborhood came by and one of them riding about up and down on the little bikes, right? With the banana seats and about 10 <laughs> years old. Eventually they stopped and one of them said, hey, mister, did you used to be somebody? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I, there, there's another line that Dave Tate used and it was a line that's a, a question someone asked about uh, how does it feel to be out of powerlifting? And he goes, I don't compete, but I've never left. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still relevant to this day only because I love it so much and I respect all the athletes in it. Yeah. And you're very active. I mean, you're very active on Instagram and uh, I don't know if you've got a website, but uh, on your social no, media. No, I don't got a website. I don't even care. Yeah. <laughs> I like well, Instagram. How... You meet a lot more people and it's less, a little less snarky at times. Yeah. And by the way, your, your address there is at Eddie Cohn and that's yeah. E-D-D-Y-C-O-A-N. I, I told you why I wrote it right at E-D-D-Y, don't I? Didn't I? I don't think so. When I was a kid, after my one YMCA Nationals, I went to a, uh, I was at 181. I did a demonstration in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on St. Patrick's Day. And it was like 15 weeks after the meet. And I just walked in and I pulled 770, weighing about 185 without, you know, training uh -huh. heavy. Yeah. And some lady walked up to me with a copy of Bill Pearl's book, Keys to Inner Universe. Yeah. And she said, I know you're going to be famous in powerlifting someday. So could you sign this for my nephew or grandson or whatever? Wow. And I had just walked up the platform. I still had my belt on and my hand was shaking. And I went to write E-D-D-I-E and I wrote E-D-D-Y. So I, I had to leave it there forever. 
because I didn't want to negate the signature that I signed for her. <laughs> Did you ever hear back from that lady? Like, no, hey, no. congrats, I told you. No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, what else did you want to pitch you? Is your book still on Amazon? No, no, there, there, yeah. there's no copies left of that. I have to reprint it. I, like, like Marty just said, maybe I'll reprint it and reprint the, uh, CDs also for, uh, yeah. the old Ed Poe tapes. Best of this, the CDs, especially because he, he demonstrates the lifts. He talks about the lifts. Oh yeah. Uh, you got the techniques. That's the most important thing. And that's, we got, we, we got some, some cheesy fireside acting chats. Oh that's my God. Good, man. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, man, I watched I that. Did you have the, did you have the, wasn't there like a cattle skull in the table or something? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sinking down into the couch so much he's like and tom is like seven feet tall yeah I was a yeah he asked me some questions and i grabbed the remote and i clicked the tv and said here let me show you and i clicked the <laughs> remote and it pops up on the screen yeah. it's great but the content is great because you you take the time and you demo the technique from the front from the side yeah and you go through all the techniques that alone is worth it you go into programming at the end and again i'm going to repeat it till i'm dead but you really should look up the cone template you really should incorporate the lessons that he's learned because that path is already blazed in terms of progressive in terms of absolute strength progressive resistance training this a lot of people forget that you know, strong is strong. Nobody ever got benched for being too strong. You right. gotta, you you gotta put the time and effort in. There's some great guys that do great work with powerlifting now, with programming and stuff like that, and they're really, really freaking good at what they do because they became scientists. Some of them were like, I mean, incredibly intelligent school wise before that, but some of them have really learned and done and put in a lot of work that are fantastic coaches and, and trainers now. Um, so sure. you know, there's, there's always more than one way to skin a cat or fillet a fish or whatever there it's, it's, you just got to find the right way for you and don't stop searching till you find it. Right. Yeah. That. Well, uh, Ed, we've actually got a, uh, article that, uh, Marty just wrote. It's called bench press wisdom of Ed Cohn. So we got that published. You can find that at ironcompany.com in the articles section. And, uh, cool. of course, you want to make sure you check out Marty's Instagram, at the Marty Gallagher. And, uh, you know, his wife, Stacy, she's got a website with all kinds of articles. And well, Marty yeah, she's the brain behind them. the outfit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's the engineer, and we kind of but freaked people out. people don't know, them. she's way, way meaner than Marty. Oh my God. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Don't eat her green beans. Man. I haven't seen that. <laughs> but her website is functional, functional hyphen strength.org. And of course, if uh, for all your strength training, uh, strength equipment needs, uh, you can go to uh, ironcompany.com. We've got power racks, platforms, bars, plates, belts, you name it. And then uh, Jimmy Steele, he's got articles popping up periodically on uh, Iron Company about once a month. He's currently got one out that's called Powerlifting Training 
and competition. You can check that out. And you can also go to his website, bossbarbell.com. That's B-A-S barbell.com. So guys, that wraps it up. Ed, thank you very much. You've been oh, on multiple times. Oh, thank you guys. Times, I love this shit. Yeah, thanks. But so it's like it's it's like a new event every time you come on. We've got so much. Uh, there's so much synergy there, and so many great stories. So really, well, thank we, you we, for coming. Our, our old minds start remembering more more stuff that we forgot. That's right. <laughs> it's all tucked in the back there. Yeah, I got to dust off it. files periodically. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank all you right. very much. Thank Take you, care, guys. Thanks. See you, Marty, right. buddy. Oh, I'm more. See you. Bye. Ciao.